Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. I was just about to clap because I'm used to the film. Yeah. Oof. Okay. <laughs> Every time. Okay. Um, welcome to the podcast that I'm about to make. Uh, verbal Art, I think I'm going to call it. But... Um, Let's see. There is a chance that I will come up with something better. So I might change it. <laughs> with us today we have Cosmo. Hi. Hi. I forgot to ask beforehand if you want to use your real name, your whole name or an artist name. Uh, I don't have an artist name, so my name is fine. <laughs> Cosmo Großberg is with us. German uh, artist working mainly with photography. I met him here in Helsinki, where we are. Can you tell us where we are? What is this space? Uh, we are at Verina Darkroom. So it's a color darkroom for analog photography, where you can mainly make uh, chromogenic prints. What does that mean for all the listeners who are not uh, photo experts? Uh, chromogenic print mainly means that it's on a light sensitive surface that you need to develop in chemicals. So it's a classic dark room. Yeah, you, you can make it digital nowadays as well, but it needs to be processed. That's the main point. Uh, so this is where you are working these days? Yes, the last four months I've been spending many, many hours and nights here. And since people don't have a visual of the space we're in, how would you quickly describe this room to give them visual cues? Uh, it's surprisingly bright for what most people would imagine a dark room to be. So you're just kind of in this hallway which ends up in this small room. Uh, and then you can see a lot of small cabinets where they're dark, like they're dark rooms uh, with enlargers in. Uh, so, and a lot of random stuff is standing around and behind me is a magnet wall where you can look at your prints once they came out. Yeah, right now there are no pins there, or no, a lot of pins, magnetic pins, no prints. Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of boxes here with probably rolls of paper in them yes. and uh, a lot of like archival drawers and uh, big machines that look very old-school sci-fi, which yeah. are the enlargers, I know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, so, how does your usual workday go here? Like, what is the process? Uh, the first thing I do is turn on the machine, because it needs some time to heat up. Uh, it needs to process at 35 degrees. So, and because the machine is a bit old, you need to help it a little bit with making some of the rollers wet uh, can clean itself enough um, and then I put my paper in a paper roll cutter which are very convenient here because uh, not like in black and white that you have at least a red light everything is pitch black uh, and it even calculates the centimeters very cool thing I really like it so what you're working in Pitch black? Yes, 
pitch black. You don't have this classic sexy red light on in the dark room. No, otherwise your entire print would be cyan. Uh, because, I mean, negative, the opposite from red is cyan. So you work on pitch black when you're working here. This is also why we are in this really bright space, because you're only working in this dark chambers to expose the print, and then you walk around here while having the print in a light-safe bag. Um, and then you walk to the machine to feed it in. So you don't see anything. So you really need to know where all your all your stuff is. Mm. So if someone moves something, uh, you are screwed. Yes, basically. Does it ever happen? I mean, I know this is a cooperative space, so a lot of people are working here. Um, no, not so far, because you don't leave that much in the space. It's just a larger, which is at the same position in the rest of your stuff, like where your papers and you move in yourself. So, and usually you would see if someone put the larger away. <laughs> If you walk into the room beforehand. Yes, they're very large. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're not... They're quite obvious. Um, it hasn't happened to me, maybe. Maybe to someone else who usually has something in some corner. But, but yeah, so, like, I cut my paper and then you just go into the flow of which takes forever uh, to make test drives, like in black and white. You make small stripes of your prints to see if the colors and the exposures is good and then you change a lot of variables on the larger to get the final image. Yeah, so this whole just for clarification, the reason why it's pitch black and not with red light is that it's a color lab and not a black and white dark room. Yes. Yeah, okay. And color paper is sensitive to all lights. Good to know. Yes. Um, so, what is it you like about working in a dark room? Uh, I like that I can touch something. Um, digital feels not so intuitive to me, like analog work. It feels quite logical for some reason. Everything that's happening and I can control more. Um, I just, I think I just really like to be in control of everything that's happening. Uh, and I know when something goes wrong, what goes wrong. If a printer does something weird, I have no idea how the inside of a printer looks like. So I'm, so I'm pretty screwed and even though these machines look very intimidating, the enlarger and the developing machine, um, they're quite simple in the end. It's just a light shining through a negative and then their color filters. And I can't tell you exactly how to make a photo paper, but uh, <laughs> uh, there are not so many variables I don't, I don't know of. And then it's also the thing that a lot of people say that it's quite a slow process and you can really focus on what you're doing, it's not so hectic. Um, well, I mean, if you're working in pitch black and have to memorize everything and know exactly what you're touching when, then I guess you can't rush too much. No. I mean, I've been running here sometimes at 3am because I really wanted to go home. 
Um, but I, I do want to make one nice print at the end. They tend to sometimes take a really long time. Um, but yeah, in general, you can't run here. You shouldn't, probably as well. Yeah, that's the thing about this process, right? That um, you spend countless hours in the dark room just to make like one print that you're satisfied with if you have a very specific idea of how it should look. Like most of the time you are just waiting and testing, right? Yeah, it, it gets better the more experience you have. At the beginning you can spend on one print three days um, if you really, but it really depends how perfectionistic you are. Um, on exhibition prints, um, I do sometimes spend six hours on it, but that's also then curiosity with to spend so much time with your image. Um, because you have this filter that goes from zero to 130 um, steps, how much yellow or magenta you add or reduce. Um, that then gets projected through the negative. And when I then work on an exhibition print, I work on half steps to then see the difference of the image. And when I don't, I usually work in five steps. You can, you can make quite quick prints when you know what you're doing. I, I can make in four hours, 10 really nice prints um, and then I can also do in that time one big exhibition print. But at the beginning, people are quite lost. Everyone is quite lost and you don't even know what to do <laughs> when you see your photo. You're like, oh, this doesn't look right. But what do I do now? <laughs> so. But I mean, honestly, that's why I, I appreciate <laughs> the process in the dark room because there's a lot of coincidence for me in the process because I don't bother to. Yeah to stay forever and like I can't control the process enough to reach a certain yeah. result anyway so I will just like have an idea okay I want it to go darker or yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah there are around yeah there are three different ways of making your print brighter or darker so then it's also mm. every one of them has a different degree how much it influences it and then if you change the your time you change as well the the color of it because the more light shines on it it also influences the color so you need to take like a lot into account but yeah i mean you don't need to be that perfectionistic and even if you work on photoshop editing an image some people also spend six hours on or it more. so in the end you may have the same result if you work on Photoshop or in the darkroom. I mean, Photoshop is based on a darkroom, so... Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's um, a lot of technical finesse, but somehow in a very abstract way, I would say. Abstract? Why yeah, abstract? Yeah, because it's like... Well, then it's about like light and time, and... So it's not just about like pushing buttons or you know stuff when i think about technical work it's what we have here that i'm setting up all these cables and things mm. uh but this is like technical and this you have to have prior knowledge about the technical process and then you do a lot of the technical work just in your brain yes which is interesting 
yeah, it feels... At the, at the beginning you feel so lost, you don't know what to do, and then you gain all this experience, and then you can kind of imagine how your print would look like if you change a, val like a variable on the larger, and I think that step is quite nice when you're you kind of have an idea what's going to happen. Uh, the beginning stage is also very interesting that you change something and you're like, this happened, I, <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> Don't know why, but that's fine. But I mean, I've been also trained by quite strict, uh, by one quite strict technician when I was in Norway, who was like, just change one thing at the beginning and then you do these very tiny steps to see what's going to happen. So. It, it it was quite helpful, and when I was doing the workshops, I was also doing that <clears throat> with my students. That, like, oh, I could also tell you now, just change these three things, and your print will be quite nice. But we're just going to do one step at a time, so you personally see. So in the end, it's also a very visual process of seeing your print go from completely magenta, and it just looks really wrong and weird. <laughs> and then it just suddenly looks good or you think it looks good and then you do more tests and then you realize how bad the print from three times before looks so you get you can get quite crazy just looking at colors and is it blue or is it yellow and everything looks the same <laughs> at 3 a.m yeah but the good thing about this work is that you then have all of these steps as physical results and you can look at them the next day yes with fresh eyes you yes. actually physically can bring them home after working yes well they need to dry but like no they don't uh, no in color it's, it's dried you wow. have your print and it comes out dry there's a dryer at the end so that's quite convenient you just have to, this is also why there's no drying cabinet here you just take it out and magnet it onto the wall mm -hmm. but very convenient okay well um Let's look at something that you have made. Okay. Mm -hmm. We can look at uh, a garden. It's a work. Okay. Let's see if it works. Oh no, I don't have internet. <laughs> can you jump on mine? No, no, I just needed to reconnect. Okay. It's fine. Yeah, we're in a color dark room, but um, my biggest projects have been on black and white so far. Also because it's cheaper. <laughs> uh, because I tend to really enjoy working with large format cameras. Um, so then one photograph, if you shoot on black and white, is between 20 cents or 50 cents, but if you photograph on color it's 10 euros for one single photo so I didn't tend to have the money to <laughs> just go around and take a bunch of photos with it um, but so I, I ended up doing a lot of black and white work which I also really enjoy so yeah this work was in Norway um, where I was just wandering around on this island and taking photographs so, this photo we are looking at, um, can you describe it? We're looking at the same one with the band. And mm -hmm. 
Um, it's a tree in a forest, but the forest is not very dense. The image is black and white, and you just see the stem of the, the tree, so it's like a really close-up. And then uh, the tree has a tape around it, and the tape is kind of centered in the, in the photograph. Uh, in the background, you can see that the sun is shining. So the sun is shining through the leaves and like through the tree, so it has a really nice pattern. And you can also see that in the background, it's going a little bit uphill. It's like a small bump, <laughs> so to say. Um, yeah, I think that's mainly it. Did, did you place the tape? No, uh, I found it. I was really interested. When I was going to Norway and moving there, I expected it was just nature and beautiful because also Norway is presenting itself as this lush, like, uh, nature uh, paradise, um, even though it's quite an industrial country. So, I, in my head, I was thinking I could just go anywhere and it's just going to be beautiful. In a way, it is, uh, <laughs> admittedly, that you can go to most places in Norway and it, it looks amazing with the mountains and everything. Even though I was never in the Oslo region, I heard that there it's just kind of a city. Um, so this island is outside of uh, Bergen, so in the coastal region. Um, but then I decided to go on this island and photograph and I saw that there were a lot of human remains and interventions and industrial things. So I started to photograph uh, those, um, but did found them that they were quite beautiful in a lot of places actually. And the island turned out to be one of the most industrial places in entire Norway that I picked out to photograph landscapes. <laughs> so, <laughs> good choice there. <laughs> Should we check another photo? Yes, you can, you can choose which one. I think it's around 9 or 10 there. What? Like in total. From, from the same series here? Yeah, ah, it's we are, the same series. We are both looking at Cosmo's website at the same time because uh, he does not have all of his prints here, obviously. Yes. Uh, so, which tends to be the case when you move around. Yes. That you don't have your things in one country, but it's spread all over. And all of these photos are from the same island? Yes. Let's look at the last one in the series. So the tires. Yes. Explain this photo to us. Um, you can see this mountain of... Uh, cut up tires um, that are in the middle. It's not a lot of them, but it's just beautiful pile of... It's a seizable amount, I yes. would say. Like mountain when you're, when you live in Norway, it just sounds like such a big word. Maybe not when you're from Denmark, a mountain can also be this, but uh, just thinking about Norway mountain just seemed very extreme. <laughs> to call that a mountain. But there is an actual mountain behind yes. these, this higher mountain. So they are like uh, mirroring each other nicely in two layers. Yes. And at, in the front you can also see an entire wheel that's kind of buried into this 
uh, ground. Um, and it's, I really liked when I was also photographing it that the light was hitting the, the wheel also. So you could see that the chrome or whatever it is is shining. So the sun is hitting from the right towards the left on the image. Are they car tires or larger tires? They're larger tires. Uh, I assume that they are for farming or for... I mean, I usually have only seen something like that when they make explosions. Um, so they cover the ground and under there, mm. under it, they do an explosion. And it was close to construction work, so it, either it was for farming or for the construction work that was close by um, that they used them for. Yeah, fun fact for the people who haven't lived in a region where the underground is mainly made from rock. Uh, when they need to do casual, normal construction work, they need to explode their way into yes. the ground. Uh, so yeah, when you live next to a construction site in Helsinki, it sounds like people are dropping bombs. Yeah, it's just a lot of beeping sound and then becomes quicker and quicker until the explosion. Very stressful. Starts. Yeah. Okay. But this is a really nice photo. Uh, did you ever print these photos or do you only have them digitally? Uh, I printed them um, and made an exhibition in, in Düsseldorf in Germany. Uh, so I got the chance that um, I had this project scholarship for young photographer and artists so they paid for the materials so i chose the nicest paper <laughs> to to print on and how um, large did you print these photos it was 50 by 60 um, centimeters right centimeters we are in europe so yeah and um, it was fiber-based paper so you can either have that it's kind of a plastically feeling your your paper or that it feels like actual paper you would also write on. Um, and yeah, they're, they have a really beautiful texture. So I chose to work with them. Uh, the photos become more matte on fiber-based paper, no? Or is that a misunderstanding of mine? Not necessarily. You can have matte or glossy okay. paper on both of them. But yeah, some people do say that they seem more, more matte mm -hmm. because the... Uh, like plastic itself is a bit shiny, mm -hmm. so you don't have this shiny thing or effect that you would have on other plastic paper. And um, this whole series, uh, how many photos are there? Are there? I think it was nine or ten photographs that were then exhibited. And are they all shot with the same camera? Yeah, they all shot with the same camera and the same film. I was. 12 times on this island, uh, I think, um, or maybe 10 times. Well, anyway, like I was nine, between nine and 12 times there, and then I had every time 12 photographs with me. Mm. So, because you have them in this film holder thing that you individually slide into the camera, so you can't have these rolls with you, you can just reload your camera. They are all large format cameras, uh, photos, these ones? Yeah, Yeah. four by five inch. And um, for those who don't know what that means, 
the large format cameras are the ones that look super old school. Yeah, when you imagine, like, when you see an old movie and then there's this guy who puts this black thing over his head to look through the camera. That's what I'm doing in the countryside when I'm taking a photo. I have seen it. It looks cool and very authentic. Then uh, Cosmo is just like uh, looking into some black uh, bags almost. Yes. <laughs> Like a black hood over his head and his ass sticking out and then he is like taking landscape photography. <laughs> yes. <laughs> looks great. Um, nice. Let's look at one more photo from the series. Yes. Uh, do you want to choose the last one? Uh, which one do I choose? Maybe the one with the pipe that goes into the water. Yes. Sure. So this was one of the the last times I was on the island and I was on this hiking path and on the photo you can see that there's a small lake or like creek um, and then there's this pipe going from the right corner that makes this beautiful swing in the ends. Yeah, I guess it was made out of some sort of plastic, but then at the beginning it's in this concrete form uh, that you can see right at the front, but it looks like the rocks that surround it, so it fits quite nicely in there. Yeah, it's fixed in some kind of maybe um, molded concrete block. Yeah. Um, but it's true, it looks like it's part of the natural ridge of like nature stones lying in the water. Yeah. And then in the background you can see some trees. Those are quite dark, you can't see much detail. And then the the sun was... I don't think the sun was shining, I think it was just a, a grey day, but the trees are reflecting really nicely in the water. Yes, the light is quite strong. Mm, but I think it was just cloudy, thin cloudy weather. I, I want to look at the one with the big mountain as well. If we go one time back from this one. Oh yes. Because it's very beautiful. Yeah, this, this photograph has a lot of texture, I would say. And then there was just this wooden like floorboard placed onto the um Okay, stone so the mountain. people listening have no idea what we're talking about. Uh it's a big mountain, it looks like. Uh, but it's somehow, we're not seeing a mountain range, we're seeing like part of it or just this big chunk of mountain like cropped into a picture and it has these like uh, sedimentary layers, I guess it's called, that like the granite is like in horizontal layers on top of each other so it has like black and silver stripes it looks like on this photo. And I don't know if it's the light or if it's how you have like developed it or what, but like it really looks like shiny silver that this mountain is made from. And then on the side of this mountain, on this little mountain ridge, someone has placed a floorboard or like a piece of wood. And I can't see how large it is in reality, but it's like just leaning there on this mountain. Yeah, it's, I think it's mirroring quite nicely the the texture of the the mountain, and or I mean it's it's rather a big rock 
than a mountain. It was the height of me, maybe. Oh, <laughs> it, really? It's not. It's not a. It, 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 I mean, when you look down, you can also see these little flowers. They would be very giant flowers if it <laughs> would be a mountain. But well, that's the thing when you're just looking rock. at a photo like this in smaller format on the screen. I did not see them as small flowers. I saw them as maybe large shrubs or yeah. I thought it was a really big mountain. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of this floor, like when you have this linoleum floor, so they each individual board is relatively small to make an entire floor mm. and an apartment. But yeah, it looks, it looks very, yeah, it's a very contrasty image, but the, yeah, the individual layers were also so different from each other in, in texture. It, I, I think it was very fascinating to see that stone. And it also was quite shiny, like the sun <laughs> was hitting it. And yeah, it's a, it's a great rock. Yeah, wow. So funny that I thought it was a huge mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very beautiful photo. Nice. And um, did you bring a camera for us to look at? Yes, I did. Or talk about? Take it out. Yeah. Aha. Uh -huh. Now this is somewhat of a camera, huh? So yeah, that's uh, the camera that was photographed with not the exact one because I was still lending it at that time and uh, was only after completing this project that I was actually purchasing it. So, I mean, for camera nerds, this is a Linhof Technica large format camera. And yeah, with a 135mm lens attached to it from Nikon. And for all of uh, those of us who care less about that specific thing, explain this camera to us. It looks, I mean, it is quite uh, big or it looks quite old, but it is relatively portable for what it is. It's just this uh, black box when it's folded together. So you can, it even has a strap on it, so you can carry it around in your hand. It looks like this funny old school uh, flight case with like too many knobs and things you can tweak on it. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can screw and unscrew on this camera. And then you just open the outside, like one side, you just fold it open and then you pull out. And whoop, this camera lens. just pops out. Suddenly it's, suddenly it's a camera, exactly. And then when you open the back, you can look through the lens. So then you see everything mirrored and up, upside down that the lens sees in the camera. It's a fairly large camera. Like it packs in to be quite compact, but all in all, like, it's like, it, it, you don't put it in your pocket, let me say it like that. Yes. It's a real camera. How heavy is it? Uh, I don't know actually. It, it doesn't feel super heavy. I mean you can lift it up if you want to. It yes, doesn't. But it's so far over there. 
at least a few kilos, I would say. Yeah, I mean, people used to shoot with these also handheld uh, for for some time uh, when other cameras didn't exist, which were <laughs> more portable. Very steady hands. Yeah, no, like your your shutter speed can be quite high, and you can attach a flash to it. Mm -hmm. So. And that's quite decent. Do you know when this camera was uh, invented or produced like this model? Uh, no, I actually don't. It was definitely before uh, Germany was united because from West Germany. Mm. Um, but it's not the, the oldest camera in the world you can get. But it's, it's, it's definitely not from like the 90s or something. Is this your favorite camera? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you you asked me like about to bring my favorite tool, <laughs> so I, I was thinking quite a lot um, what my favorite tool is, uh, and I don't think I can really say like favorite, but I would say this brings me the most joy to photograph with. Mm. Um, I have other cameras. Or especially one other camera that I really, really like to photograph with. Um, but it's just kind of more of an adventure to, to, to go out with this camera. Yeah, and also um, each photograph is the most expensive with this one compared to smaller cameras, right? Yes. So there, there's, there's bigger sizes than this actually, but. Okay, but like the larger the camera, the larger and older the camera, the more expensive each shot is, like as a rule of thumb, maybe. Yeah, I mean not the older it is, but the the larger your film, the the bigger hmm. the expense will be. So you maybe also think twice before pushing that button. Yes, I mean luckily there's this. Um, Czech company who produces quite cheap black and white film um, when you compare it to bigger brands so you can actually I mean with this camera I also just went around and just shot around for a day um, but you do have 12 photos in the end like mm. you have a certain amount of, of film that you can bring and each of these holders costs some money so you, you can load more film, but then you need to kind of create a semi-dark room to mm -hmm. load the film. Oh, so you have extra limitations. Yes. Yeah, so do you go to a place then, now you said that you were at this island for... <clears throat> sorry. You said you were at this island around 10 times and you ended up with a series of nine selected photos. Mm -hmm. Did you then go and like scout out places and images before taking them or did you like go and take the photos immediately when you saw something? Mm, I took them immediately. So how I worked is that I, there was this bus that was driving on this island. Um, it took every time around 45 minutes or an hour to get to the end destination. So I just picked out um, random bus stops on the island. So then I Every single time I went there, I exited another bus stop and then walked around there, wherever it was. And um, I did go specifically to two places where I know there was a hiking path. 
Um, but at the beginning, I just randomly got off a bus stop and <laughs> just walked around wherever that was then. Hmm. Well, nice. I just disappeared a little bit for a while, so this uh, hiking path you were talking about. <laughs> oh, but I'm back. Yes. Um, cool. Is there anything else you want to mention about uh, photography or what you do or what makes you tick? What makes me tick? I don't know. <laughs> um, difficult question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just hang out in the dark room a lot. I guess that <laughs> makes me tick. The, the more you do it, the more the more knowledge you have and the more freedom you, you gain in the in the dark room and in your process mm. because you also know what you can like do wrong and what not. It, at the beginning it seems very serious when people go come to analog photography and they're very scared of ruining everything. Yeah, now you also but, bring this like big ass camera and like this the real way somehow, but I know you also like to shoot with small point-and-shoot cameras that seem like very 90s pocket style. Yeah, and I mean, when I was photographing with this camera for the first time, I just read one manual online and then I just did it. Mm. So, and then the technician gave me like a five-minute introduction. So I also just did it and I also just developed the, the photos and this is how I work from the beginning with analog photography that I rather wanted to sacrifice some of my photographs and make the... I mean, I mean, I made many mistakes in the darkroom. I have ruined films and ruined prints for various, various reasons. Um, and I mean, that's great. So then, then I know and I actually have the expertise instead of crying over every photograph I might lose. But yeah. with this, I I lose the least photos, so <laughs> with oh. the, the the large formats, because you, it's just so few and minimalistic and compact, and and you have a higher success rate that how many photos you like per the amount of photos you take. I mean, when I shoot digital, I, like if I do, and there's like hundred photos, and then you like two or three, I feel like for most people, and the rest just never see any anyone ever sees them and with this it's I mean with color because you need to be very serious about it when it's so expensive I tend to like at least half of the photos so mm. in the end do you really spend more money when you like more of the photographs is the question no and I mean in any case we all know you learn the most from the mistakes right yes and their mistakes can be extremely beautiful in the dark room. I prefer often test strips and fail prints and things like this, to be honest. It's more in yeah. my corner. At the beginning I worked mainly with the mistakes I did. I think when the process is like exposed in the result, yeah. I somehow quite like that. Because with analog photography the process is such an intricate huge part of like why people do it, what that they feel like you can see that it's different. And that so for me somehow when this whole handheld aspect becomes evident 
often by mistake, but when it happens, like, I, I don't know, I like that. Yes. Well, thank you. I forgot to introduce myself. <laughs> so uh, this is Senia Ram and this is a podcast series, first experimental try today. I'm going to interview visual artists about their art. Uh, and then we talk about it and see if that will be interesting as well as looking at it. And uh, first guest in the studio before he goes back to Germany. Cosmo Grosbeck, uh, whom I have worked very closely with, so I was happy to do this first round with you. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. Um, it feels very much like radio, no? Yes. <laughs> very professional. Yeah. Uh, do you have a website you want people to look at or like that you want to offer people to look at? Uh, yeah, sure. People can look at my, my website. I just redesigned it, so there's actually something on it. Uh, it's mainly my name, it's just my name, uh, cosmogosbach.de, but uh, it's a German last name, so it's maybe a So it's a Cosmo like Cosmos, but without the S in the end, and Grossbach is uh, like Gross, and then Bach, like the composer? Oh yeah. yeah. Yes? Like Bach. Yeah. .de Yeah, G-R-O-S-S-P-A-C-H .de Grossbach <laughs> Yeah Yeah, so um, there you can check out the photos that we have talked about if you are interested in the Ölgarten uh, series Yes, and for the non-Scandinavian people it's uh, where <laughs> it's a crossed out O at the beginning <laughs> Oh yeah, we have funny letters yes. um, Cool Yes, okay. I think that's it. Great. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Let your hand move. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Still waving to the microphone. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> oh, that was fun, no? Yes, that was nice. Thank, Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. it.